so I watched, I went to my brother's basketball game. Uh-huh. And while I was there, I did some thinking. Okay. Because I was like, basketball has so much potential to, to be, be interesting. That's a hot take, but <laughs> <laughs> but just to be more creative, I guess. Okay. Because they yell plays, and then sure. the point guard yells a play, and then they do the play. Mm. That's that's the formula that goes through. But the coaches, uh, unimaginative. They just <laughs> like, oh yeah, let's run Stanford. Let's go Berkeley, Harvard. Let's just names uh, the colleges. And it's boring. Like, you have all the power. They have to listen to you. Mm-hmm. They're your players. Yeah. So. I was on the sideline, and I was like, I'm going to come up with a play that's going to change basketball. We're going to see this in the NBA in a few years. Okay. If I ever become a basketball coach. Okay. So when, a few years after that. <laughs> because... <laughs> just just a couple. Yeah. Like, I'll get in, move up real fast, and then we'll be there. Exactly. Okay. And it's because I recognize basketball not only as a physical game, but as a mental game. You have to get into the other team's heads. Oh, okay. So. This as... is also a hot take. <laughs> So, as a coach, they yell, let's split up, gang. Mm-hmm. That's the name of the play. Let's split up, gang. Mm-hmm. Point guard then yells. Doesn't have to repeat what he says. He heard it. He, We don't have to keep yelling the same thing over again. Okay. So he yells, who wants a Scooby snack? <laughs> okay. And then the rest of the team, in acknowledgement of what's about to happen, <laughs> they yell, we'll be back. <laughs> And then they all slowly, the point guard starts dribbling the ball slower now. Okay. And then they all form a line in front of the point guard and start saying, Scooby Dooby Doo, where are you? We've got some work to do now. Slowly getting closer to the basket. Okay. Other team doesn't know what's going on. They're freaked out. (laughs) Yep. They're asking their coach what's going on. You score a basket. And they can't stop thinking about it for the rest of the game. I have a question. <laughs> I have a lot of questions, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. I'll do my best to answer them. Uh, question one. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to come up with this genius plan? It sort of evolved okay. over time. Because it used to be that the coach yelled, who wants a sno- Scooby snack? And then the whole team yelled, Ruby Rack. But I thought there needed to be more layers. Oh, Okay. There was a lot of workshopping going on. Clearly. And it was my sister's like, what's the point of doing that? And I was like, I guess I'll score a basket (laughs) while they're at it. (laughs) So I put that in there. Which sister did you go to this game with? Both of them. Ah, which one liked the plan more? Neither of them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm alone. But as as many geniuses are, they're alone for a little while before it catches on. Soon you'll see the NBA doing it. Yeah. The Lakers, dribble, dribble, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? Soon, Scooby-Doo endorsements, Scooby-Snack endorsements. It's a whole thing. Capitalism is thriving. And it's all because of me, (laughs) Kiana Henry. (laughs) Another question. Go ahead. Were you high? No, this is just my brain (laughs) (laughs) 24-7. I'm a thinker. Because, man, I have some great ideas, but it's not always just (laughs) while I'm sitting there going, you know, (laughs) how about we bring back some sweet 1970s cartoon (laughs) culture and really just thrust it into uh, a basketball team, a boring sport. I went there. It's a hot take. You know what? Some people don't like fucking rugby. You know this. <laughs> I know that. I know the bumper sticker. It's a social disease. <laughs> I don't like basketball. I think it's dull. But imagine that happened. I might watch basketball if I knew they were going to have a Ruby Roo fucking, yeah. you know, stampede. Or... Yeah. It, no, it's more cryptic. It's uh, that's true. It's a little more sneak attack. Yeah, it's a little spooky. But it's not a sneak attack. Oh, they're just walking in formation, which is weird. But it's a sneak attack because the other team's not expecting it, and they don't know what to do because they're like basketball. It's not we uh, dribble and run back so, and forth. What's but, this Scooby sne- singing? 
They don't get it. But let's be perfectly clear. The <laughs> first time this ever happened, it would go viral and then everyone would know exactly what was going to happen next time it happened. And then things would get more ridiculous in basketball. <laughs> what i'm saying it would revolutionize the sport i'm a genius you are a genius (laughs) i think if you can make this a thing yeah then we can just any i don't know we can use any cartoon i don't appreciate you saying if this becomes a thing when this becomes when not if when i'll go down will when you become an nba coach exactly years down the line somebody is going to be they're going to have a podcast or whatever medium and they're going to talk about me (laughs) (laughs) and then your life will be complete and then that's full circle (laughs) any basketball coaches out there want the idea go ahead and reach out to me at that broadscoutmoxie at (laughs) gmail.com excellent well that was better than any story I had because my week was just very busy and uh, <laughs> this happened. Didn't come up with any good ideas. <laughs> this happened a few weeks ago and I have not let it. I have not let it die. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> with the um, the sheer amount of work and forethought that went into your most recent Alamo party. Oh, I think about things a lot because I'm a thinker. You are I'm an idea you lady. Got a lot of, you got a lot of time to just let that brain percolate. Yeah. Snoodles cooked. It is cooked. <laughs> and it's boiling in ideas. <laughs> you know what happens to a noodle when you cook it too long though, right? It Mush. just disintegrates. That's just aging. <laughs> Dementia Lord. runs in my family. Good I'm Lord. ready for it. Hello, everyone. That was dark. Welcome to that broad Scott Moxie. <laughs> We're cutting her off. I'm Kiana. I'm Cassie. Did I say that already? I don't know. Danny's here. She's chilling. She doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> it is episode. What did we say? Sixty. Sixty. Six zero. Oh shit. Sexy well. sixty. Sexy mm-hmm. sixty. Oh, I like that. Mine is not sexy. Oh, my story. <laughs> I don't know if yours is. I mean, sure. Why not? It's a little sexy. Oh. Um, Who are you talking about? Oh, so I'm going to go first this week. And I am talking about Brownie Wise. Oh, I don't know if I've... Oh, it's it's a good story. All right. Use my, my sources here. The story of Brownie Wise, the ingenious marketer behind the Tupperware party. She would get my basketball idea. She would. (laughs) That was an article by Kat Escher. A book called The Life of the Party, The Remarkable Story of How Brownie Wise Built and Lost a Tupperware Party Empire. Oh, wow. And the author of that is Bob Keeling. Another article from the New York Post called Uncovering the Rise and Fall of the Queen of Tupperware by Larry Getlin. And Tupperware Parties, Suburban Women's Plastic Path to Empowerment by Erin Blakemore. And that was on History.com. I'm so into this. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many thoughts about this. I gave Danny like, just like a brief little teaser. Mm -hmm. And she was like, this is wild. (laughs) All right. Brownie Mae Humphrey was born May 25th, 1913 in Buford, Georgia. Her father, Jerome, was a plumber, and her mother, Rosabelle, was a hat maker. I like the name Rosabelle. I do, too. It's really cute. I read that when I was doing my research. I was like, oh, it's one of those, like, <laughs> old-fashioned names. It's really cute. Mm-hmm. After her parents' divorce, her mother took a job in a new um, managerial position, and that required a lot of travel. So Brownie mostly grew up with her aunt in Atlanta. In 1936, Brownie won a contest to paint a mural at the Texas Centennial in Dallas. While there, she met Robert Wise, a Ford executive, and married him later that same year. The couple moved to Detroit, and in 1938, the couple celebrated the birth of their only child, Jerry. As a homemaker, Brownie frequently contributed to a reader's column in the Detroit News called Experience. And she used the nom de plume, hibiscus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which I disliked Whoa. a lot. I'm like, 
That's a hell of a pen name. Really going for it. <laughs> she submitted long, carefully crafted descriptions of her blissfully happy domestic life. What she wrote, however, was far from the reality she I was, was living. Say, that's like when people post how happy they are on Instagram. Exactly. <laughs> it's like Instagram couples who are just like a little too beautiful and everything is a little too perfect. It's like, but what's it really like? Yeah. What's the... What's the dirt? What's the dirt? What's the 411? Brownie and Robert did not have a very pleasant relationship, and they eventually divorced in 1941. Mm-hmm. Living her new life as a single mother, Brownie found work as a secretary for the Bendix Aviation Corporation, because it was, like, right kicking off World War II. Mm-hmm. So, to supplement her income... She became a sales representative for Stanley Home Products, which is a Massachusetts-based company that sold cleaning goods through in-home sales. Yeah, vacuum sales exactly. kind of deal. Look at exactly. this knife. Look at this knife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brownie's outgoing and vivacious personality made her perfect for the job. Now, let me briefly explain to you the glorious invention that is Tupperware. <laughs> In the years following World War II, plastics inventor Earl Tupper designed exciting new products for the consumer market. His name was Tupper? Yes! I cannot believe... <laughs> like, I... <laughs> Are you shook right now? I'm really shook. Because it's always... I I don't know. I always just thought Tupper came from, like, oh, it's where you put your supper like a fun play, but like Tupperware. Sure. This man's whole name was Tupper. Mm-hmm. This legacy he has. Earl and- Tupper. Named after himself. He has such a legacy, but nobody knows who this is. Exactly. So, and Tupperware is such a... Oh, wow. I'm going to get real strong opinions about Tupperware. I can feel it. Oh, yeah. You Overlooked. sure will. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so before, before World War II, before any of this, plastic goods were manufactured for use in the war. Right. Everything from like insulation for wiring to truck parts, but was not used inside a home. Mm-hmm. Tupper created a new kind of plastic from oily polyethylene. So it's a type of plastic. It's very malleable mm-hmm. is what polyethylene is. It, first, it was called poly tea. It was easy to mass produce in like a whole wide range of colors. And you could easily form it in a mold and give it, like, this clean, sharp, modern look that was also lightweight and malleable, like, pliable. Mm -hmm. So, the Wonder Bowl, the very first piece of Tupperware ever put on the market, was translucent like milk glass, but more durable than any container before it. It was air and watertight, thanks to the double-sealed lid which was patented in 1947. Hmm. So I have a bunch of just like fun, (laughs) interesting facts that I sprinkled in here. So fun fact number one, the Smithsonian has a collection of over 100 pieces of Tupperware. Oh my God. I know. (laughs) Like that must be a hell of a garage sale. (laughs) Right. Well, Pyrex, like glass Pyrex is Uh go for... A lot. A lot of money. Like OG stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. But apparently the Smithsonian was like, this is a piece of history. What We got to have a lot of it. Yeah. hundred pieces of Tupperware. Mm. Here we are. It's been invented. The Wonder Bowl is great, but it wasn't selling in department stores. And quite frankly, people thought it was weird (laughs) because it was just too different. Plastic was an unfamiliar material, Mm -hmm. period. I would, so I said, let's pause here and think for a moment. Imagine, if you will, mm-hmm. not having plastic mm-hmm. in your home growing up. Mm-hmm. I'm very, oh, <laughs> because I live in guilt because of climate change. I'm very aware of how much plastic oh, yeah. is just casually used. It's it's literally everywhere. It's yeah. used in every single room in your house. Mm-hmm. Every and like every even if it's you bananas. go out into the wild. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere. literally everywhere. It's on your car. It's on your shoes. So much plastic has invaded this earth. 
<laughs> oh, yes. I have a couple of hot takes to discuss later. Okay. So here's another fun fact. Uh, the very first plastic mm-hmm. ever was created in 1862 and was derived from cellulose, which mm-hmm. comes from plants. Mm-hmm. So the very... <laughs> f- Hello, attention. Is everyone listening to this? The very first plastic ever created came from plant material. Mm. So therefore it was not only bio-based, mm-hmm. but it was also biodegradable. Compostable or biodegradable? I've learned. Hold this is they an are, They are two different things. Yeah. Yes. Biodegradable. Oh, okay. So it's not perfect. <laughs> But it also doesn't live on the earth for 700 years. Oh, my God. Also, just think about... Sorry, this is just ex- existential stuff. How much plastic we've created yeah. from that time period, 18-whatever? 1862. 1862 to now, 2020. Mm-hmm. All the destruction we've done. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Makes you think. It sure does. Okay. So... I put in all capital letters. Bio-based plastic are the OG plastics. <laughs> this is very important. Yeah. Hello, if you're listening, maybe let's fucking think like they did in 1862 about plastics. Mm-hmm. Not about other things because it was a pretty shitty time. <laughs> but as far as their thoughts on plastic, maybe we should start thinking that way. Okay. Where were we? Oh, yeah. So basically, nobody knows what plastic is. They've never mm-hmm. handled it. They're like, I don't even know what to do with this. Mm-hmm. They didn't understand how to burp the lid mm. on Tupperware because yeah. that's a thing. you got to know how to do it if you can't. And if you don't, the lid comes off. Yeah. Because people had only ever used like glass and ceramic jars and bottles and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what, what the fuck is this? <laughs> All right. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. I put that. I'm clever. <laughs> Okay, so Brownie, at this point, has moved to Miami with her mother and her son. She saw potential in this newfangled Tupperware. Mm -hmm. She started her own Tupperware selling business, which was called Patio Parties, (laughs) in the late 1940s. Because in Miami, it's gorgeous all year round and you can have parties on your patio anytime you goddamn want. The sales strategy was rooted in the same, like, home-selling model that she had used with Stanley Home Products. Mm-hmm. But Brownie put women front and sell- center as sellers at these parties. Mm-hmm. So instead of just a salesman, like, coming in, demonstrating the product, and then selling it to you, like, boom, boom, mm-hmm. right there, a Tupperware party was a party where the hostess was supported by a Tupperware dealer. Mm-hmm. So basically the dealer would come in as this like guest of honor, would demonstrate the products. They would play like party games using the Tupperware, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was really fun. It wasn't unusual to see Tupperware being just tossed around. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'd fill it with water, sometimes with grape juice. Oh. And be like, oh, oh, is it going to spill? No, it's not because it's sealed and airtight. <laughs> uh, sales reps would show everyone and like demonstrate how to burp the lid to retain freshness and flavor. Mm-hmm. So all of this happened. And then people would buy from that dealer. Those sellers sold the shit out of some plastic bowls. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hostesses got merchandise in return as, like, a thank you for providing her, like, social circle. Mm-hmm. Right? And her home and stuff. By this time, Earl Tupper, Mr. Tupperware, mm-hmm. noticed how much product Brownie was moving. Because mm-hmm. because things weren't doing, like, great yeah. in the stores, he then sent out catalogs. Mm-hmm. And so she would be like, all right, here we go. We're going to, you disperse there, you disperse there. And was really doing her own thing. Mm-hmm. He was blown away by how much product Brownie was moving, which sounds like drugs, but it's <laughs> right. <not. laughs> In 1951, Brownie was hired to be vice president of marketing. Mm-hmm. 
an unprecedented position for a woman, especially in 1951. Right. Holy shit. They all talk like this. (laughs) A woman. (laughs) A woman as vice marketing champ. I never. (laughs) I never. She should be at home with the Tupperware. (laughs) (laughs) Taking care of her husband and children. So Brownie's whole idea was to support women by helping them regain the independence many lost after World War II. Yeah. So World War II happened. All the men went to war Mm -hmm. and women were like, what the, what are we going to do now? Mm -hmm. So they all went to work. Right. Yep. For four or five years. But then when their husbands and sons and, you know, fiancés Mm -hmm. came back home, they boop, right back in the kitchen, yeah. right back into the home. No more jobs. No more jobs. And they were like, man, you remember having a job? That was so great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Making my own money, buying yeah. my own shit. Having now, any control of the finances. Exactly. Having any kind of financial independence period. Mm-hmm. Boy, that was great. So this was Brownie's way of being like, well, I have a son to take care of. I'm living on my own. I need to give other women an opportunity to do the same. Mm-hmm. She motivated her dealers by asking them to share their successes and expertise with one another. So she put together a weekly newsletter for them and touted the idea that Tupperware selling was as much a lifestyle as it was a job. Mm-hmm. Like if you were a Tupperware seller, that was like your whole thing. Yeah. You know, so like I said, I'm going to get back to it, but a lot of hot takes on this. Yeah. yeah. All right. Newsletter. It's lifestyle. But also she just wanted to empower women who didn't get recognition Mm -hmm. at home Mm -hmm. for working really fucking hard and taking care of an entire household (laughs) and raising children. Yeah. It's hard Um, labor. That's not. It's hard labor. That's not compensated. And it's. Or respected. Often time respected or recognized. Yeah. Yeah. So, shout out to mothers everywhere. Yeah. Because that's some hard fucking work. And don't let anybody tell you that you you don't work hard. (laughs) Because children are terrible. (laughs) Yeah, they don't know how to do anything. They don't. You have to do everything for them. Or, like, show them how. And that just takes more work because they're... Right? Tie their own shoes. Like I know, just tie them for them because bunny it'll take ears. two. How can you? <laughs> we went over this last week, Jonathan. Bunny ears. I'm not gonna tie your fucking shoes. <laughs> Get them Velcro. <laughs> That's what I say. This is a quote from the book by Bob Keeling. Quote: She really could speak to her dealer's dreams. She listened to the women who worked for her and made marketing decisions based on their feedback. The saying she was known for, you build the people and they'll build the business. Unquote. Mm. Capitalism, baby. <laughs> Brownie created a whole new kind of sales network. It was based on having fun, living your most fulfilled life, and being a woman with a purpose. The all-woman sales force attended annual sales jubilees that were filled with awards, Prizes and cocktail parties. Oh, hell yeah. Sounds like a time <laughs> I would love to attend. Brownie attended sales conferences and rubbed shoulders with the most successful company execs. Her TV and magazine appearances made her a household name, and in 1954, Brownie was the first woman to ever be featured on the cover of Business Week. Hmm. Yeah. She fucking, between the time that she was hired as the vice president of marketing Mm -hmm. to 1954 when she was on the cover of Business Week, in three years, her career was, like, out of control. Mm -hmm. It was so big. So she's living her best life, ruling these Tupperware parties. Mm -hmm. By 1958, business was booming. But Brownie was... Getting too big. She was too good at her job. 
Her success turned her into a celebrity. She was the face of the company and everyone loved her. <laughs> but even though Earl Tupper had offered Brownie the job to create a profitable business for him, he resented that people thought she was a reason for Tupperware's success. Oh, my God. So he got real resentful and jealous. He got his little panties in a twist. Mm -hmm. That fragile male ego that strikes fucking, again. <laughs> fucking fragile male ego, indeed. And boy, he is a giant piece of shit. I would just like to... That's coming out, coming out hard and fast on this one. Mm -hmm. Huge piece of shit. Mm. I'm sorry I said nice things about him earlier. Look, that's okay. I do it literally every episode. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Sometimes you say nice things after we already know they're bad. Exactly. <laughs> All right. By the late 1950s, Tupper was looking to sell the company. And, quote, this is, again, from that book, quote, his gut told him it would be less attractive to sell with an outspoken woman at the helm of the sales end. So he wanted to sell the company. Mm -hmm. But he was like, who's going to buy my company with this loud, brassy woman leading my sales department probably a lot of people she was just probably on the cover. a lot of people yeah <laughs> she was on the cover of the, the business you magazine. fucking think so yeah very i'm upset i'm mad in january of 1958 without notice Ugh. earl fired her oh my god she was not under contract so he just out kicked her out gave her the boot mm. she owned no stock in the company and after hauling their sorry asses to court, she was awarded a severance package of one year salary, which was about $30,000. Mm. And in 2020 money, that's like 268000 oh. No. Still. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's still not, not good. <laughs> not, not good enough. Do better. Soon afterward, every reference to Brownie was removed from company literature. Uh, uh, indeed. <laughs> Could you imagine being that spiteful? He is you... a petty bitch, is what he is. He needs to go talk to somebody. He does. Because he clearly has some um, issues that he has. some deep-seated... He was probably a middle child. Ugh, he's a cunt. I'm coming out hard with that one. <laughs> Actually, I don't like to look. I like to use cunt in in a variety of ways. I mm -hmm. think it's a real fun way that they use it in England mm -hmm. when they just call people cunts for no bigs. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm coming at it like hard and strong because he's a real fucking asshole. I to to lighten the word cunt. Oh, yes, please do. <laughs> I I know it's a hot button topic in America. Mm -hmm. I uh, used to make me laugh because it's a funny word. It's, it's such a funny word. And one of my friends in high school gave me the nickname Thundercunt. <laughs> oh, I love it. Which is just the funniest thing in the world. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. I would put that on a t-shirt and wear it with pride. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Where are we? Shit city. That's where we are. Okay. So, Earl fires her. She takes him to court. She gets not nearly enough money, mm -hmm. is what I say. Meanwhile, fucking Earl sold the Tupperware company to Rexall Drug for, would you like to take guess? In 1958, how money, <laughs> how much he sold his company for? Uh, how, I don't know. <laughs> it's in the millions. Two, thousand, uh, two million. No. Five million. No. Six million. More. In in fifties money, mm -hmm. it was that much. Mm -hmm. Twenty, no, more or less, less. Ten, sixteen. Oh my god! In nineteen fifty eight, fucking Tupperware was sold to Rexall Drug for sixteen million dollars. Drug is in big pharma. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they could afford it. <laughs> they, they sure can. <laughs> they got all the money. Wow. So, not only did he do that, he then divorced his wife, 
Okay. Bought an island off the coast of Costa Rica and forfeited his U.S. citizenship so he wouldn't have to pay taxes. This fucking... I'm going to whisper. I'm not going to yell into the microphone. Okay. <laughs> this man is disgusting. He is vile. He's garbage trash. Garbage trash. Pay your taxes. Also, who did that island belong? That's not your island to buy. This is back to that territory stuff. <laughs> Leave that island alone. You garbage piece of trash. You fucking asshole. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. It's just... Oh my gosh. It's the worst. And it makes me the most angry. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So after this, Brownie went on to hold several other like super high level sales jobs, mm -hmm. but never recaptured the glory of her time at Tupperware. No. Obviously. Yeah. She's a fucking queen of Tupperware. <laughs> in the years to follow, she developed real estate, indulged in hobbies like pottery. Oh. And reportedly had a secretive relationship with a former Democratic presidential candidate. Which one? I don't know. Intrigue. Is that Kennedy? No, it's not a Kennedy. <laughs> what? It's in the 60s? No, no. It, this is just later in life. Oh. But in, it would be the 60s. Well, I, maybe. But it wasn't a Kennedy. Are you positive? I'm pretty sure it wasn't Who was a Kennedy. It? it was, I don't know, someone I've never heard was of. Was it LBJ? No. That's gross. Ew. <laughs> No, it wasn't Nixon. Big Dick Johnson. No. Ew. Ew. All of the above is Also, ew. Nixon is a Republican. Not a Democrat. Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to say it now. I think it's F, not FDR. JFK. It's, <laughs> it's not. It's He was a presidential candidate who was oh, never elected. a candidate. Yeah, a candidate. Mm -hmm. You're throwing Bobby. out all these. <laughs> <laughs> also, no. Get off the Kennedy thing. Those Kennedys okay. got around. Yeah. <laughs> Mm, indeed. In her later years, while many considered Brownie a pioneer for women, she bristled whenever this was mentioned. This was a quote from her. She said, I needed the money for me and my kid, so I got out there and made it. Brownie Wise died on September 24th, 1992, at age 79 in Kissimmee, Florida. The Modern Tupperware Company, because it's still around... Mm -hmm has since worked to recognize her contributions. They donated $200,000 to an Orlando park near the company's headquarters in 2016 so it could be renamed Brownie Wise Park. Hmm. And they have added her back into, like, the company's official history. Good. Like, she's been <laughs> fucking recognized for all of her hard work. Okay, so I put, much like last week when you were like, maybe rant. Yeah. <laughs> Little rant. That was two weeks ago. Oh, yeah, that's right. Just listen to it. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little rant. Um, <laughs> this is it. where I have some hot takes on this. Okay, go so, ahead. Lay it on me. First of all, mm -hmm. Tupperware as a whole. Mm -hmm. It was meant to be long-lasting. Mm -hmm. And it was just the tip of the iceberg in this, the fucking global destruction caused by plastic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we kind of touched on that. Mm -hmm. The other thing was... Okay, so Brownie's legacy, right, is in creating this model for a whole field mm -hmm. of, like, home party businesses. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's also the basis for, quote, like, side hustle. Yeah. Multi-level marketing businesses. Yeah. Pyramid scheme. Exactly. <laughs> See pyramid <laughs> schemes. <laughs> so I have a whole feeling about that because pyramid schemes, mm -hmm. multi-level marketing schemes, that's everything from fucking Tupperware. Mm -hmm. Technically, I guess, would be like uh, right up there with the OGs. Mm -hmm. But then you got Pampered Chef. Mm -hmm. You got fucking LuLaRoe, mm -hmm. Avon, Mary Kay. All of these things mm -hmm. that are directed at women mm -hmm. who are essentially taken advantage of 
some more than others. I listen to, um, I'm going to give a shout out. I really like Unladylike, mm-hmm. which is a podcast. They did a whole episode about scamming. Yeah. And fraud. Mm-hmm. And they talk about these multi-level marketing things. And these companies find loopholes mm-hmm. so that what they're doing is just just a hair <laughs> above the legal limit. Yeah. Right? They found yeah. every loophole to to get the most money out of people. Mm-hmm. Because before you can even sell these things yourself. You have to buy. You buy your own supply and you drop $5,000 on an entire wardrobe of LuLaRoe. Mm-hmm. And then you have to turn around and try and make that money back mm-hmm. for yourself. Yeah. Which is some fucked up shit. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's like the, we've talked a lot about capitalism lately. Yes. It's the model of capitalism where there needs to be people who are explo- uh, exploited so mm-hmm. that you can profit and hoard the wealth. Exactly. And it's just putting it on a, just a little bit of a smaller level than yeah. like the multinationals, if you will. Mm-hmm. So that somebody who's not necessarily a capitalist tycoon can feel like they're a ta- capitalist tycoon and explo- exploit their own workers. Exactly. Exactly. It's all this fucked up system to make people who are struggling mm-hmm. because no one earns a goddamn living wage in this country. Mm-hmm. It makes them feel like I can be my own boss. Mm -hmm. I can make my own money. Mm -hmm. But then you are essentially trying to hawk (laughs) these products on the people closest to you, which is not an entire nation full of people. It's people in your social circle. And it just, it's this vicious circle of like, you have to buy and then try to sell but then you're stuck with product and you're still in the same goddamn shitty boat you were in before. Yeah. And because nobody has a living wage, yeah. we're meant to think that everybody should have a side hustle. Everybody should be working yes. harder. But then it just turns into now we don't have to abide by the um, hours mm-hmm. set, the min- the maximum amount of hours you can ha- make before you have to pay uh, yeah. overtime. Yep. All of a sudden, we're working overtime and not being fairly compensated for mm-hmm. it, and it's just a vicious, you like you it, said. Yeah, it's, it's a vicious, vicious circle. circle. So, brownie-wise, great. MLMs, pyramid <laughs> schemes, and plastic, bad. <laughs> That's my hot take. That's fair enough. I agree with that. Thank you. All right. That's all I got. <laughs> okay. I guess it's my turn now. It is your turn. Who are you doing this week? So this week I'm not talking about an individual person per se. I will mention. So I'm going to talk about the Gulabi Gang and Sampat Devi Pal. Okay. They, and I'll tell you my source. So Sampat started the Gulabi Gang, which is why she gets mentioned. Her name gets more shout outs than the other women in the gang. Gotcha. Anyways, sources. Gulabigang.in. Because we're in India. India. Um, an article called uh, Gulabi Gang, India's Women Warriors by... Yes! <laughs> I was like, I know this name. Where have I heard it? That's it. Ding, ding, bitches. Okay. So I'm in. Shiwata Desai wrote mm-hmm. that article. An article called Carrying a Big Stick, India's Gulabi Gang. But there was no author on that one. Oh, okay. Which is weird. And then... Meet the Women Behind India's Pink Vigilantes by Amanda Fontella Khan. Yeah, yeah, And then Season 2, Episode 7 of Vice on HBO. Ooh. Oh, I love Vice. Yeah. So this week, we take our wonderful imaginative mind... Oh, before I start. Trigger warning, because I am going to be talking about rape and sexual assault. I'm not going to get into any detail, Mm -hmm. but it happens. It's in the context of the story. So... This week, we take our wonderful imaginative minds to India, to the northern province of Uttar Pradesh. All right, we're there. (laughs) Now imagine this. Uttar Pradesh ranks as one of the most unsafe provinces for women in India, with 1,963 cases of rape, 7,910 cases of kidnapping, and 2,244 cases of dowry death reported in 2013 alone. Oh my god. Gosh, 
Female illiteracy rates are at 47%. And infanticide, child marriages, and domestic violence are common and largely unpunished in the area. It sounds like a really shitty place to be if you're a woman. Exactly. Oi. Okay. My next sentence is, in this absolute nightmare of a province, (laughs) in the agricultural town of Barausa, the Gulabi Gang's unofficial headquarters, which is a pink concrete house, sits. Nice. (laughs) The house belongs to a woman named Sampat Devi Pal, who started the Gulabi Gang in 2006 as a response to widespread domestic abuse and other violences against women that were being ignored by the police. The Gulabi Gang, which means pink gang in, mm-hmm. in, in Hindi, is the largest women's vigilante group in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, girl. <laughs> the Gulabi Gang was initially intended to punish oppressive husbands, fathers, and brothers, and to combat domestic violence and uh, desertion. So the members of the gang would accost female offenders and prevail upon them to see reason, a.k.a. stop beating your wife. Mm-hmm. The more serious offenders were publicly shamed, and when they refused to listen to people being like, stop doing that, Uh the women uh, resorted to their latites, which is a bamboo stick, and uh, beat the shit out of them. (laughs) (laughs) The group is said to include between 200,000 and 400,000 North Indian women. Oh my gosh. Most of whom are poor and illiterate. So... Wow. The, the gang members, the reason they're called the Pink Gang, sport an electric pink sari Gorgeous. as their uniform. Love it. And wield bamboo latis or sticks. Why the sticks, you ask? Well, they are great, effective, and affordable. <laughs> <laughs> great way to beat the shit out of rapists. That's right. <laughs> and if we're being perfectly honest... They hurt like a motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Do you want to hear a funny story? It's terrible, because, <laughs> it, but it's also funny. So, Go for it. several years ago, I insisted on planting asparagus in our yard. Hmm. I have gotten one. <laughs> one single stalk of asparagus. I have an asparagi, okay. if you will. <laughs> and so... We, it was like, I'm not going to cut this. Let's see how big it gets. So we let it grow and grow and grow. I don't know if you know this, but if you let asparagus grow, they get very big. I did not. So what, this was probably, this was a couple summers ago. Daddy and I are working out in the yard. (laughs) And I was like, all right, it's time to cut this bad boy down. So I cut it down at the base. And then I was like, hmm. Mm -hmm. Danny's over there. She's all bent over. <laughs> Maybe this will be funny. It was not. Oh. Um, I gave a little swat. I gave her, We've been together for 10 years. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'll just give her a little, you know, a little swat with this asparagus. Mm-hmm. Twas not a gentle swat. <laughs> this fucking asparagus and all its flexibility like swapped her and i was like oh my god she stood up so fast and was like ah! oh no so there's a picture on one of our phones of danny's butt cheeks with just this like pink line going across but i felt so terrible it's like i did not think that was gonna happen it snapped that little asparagus rod just in half oh my god and i was like i barely touched you with it i'm so i felt terrible but it was so note to self they should be using asparagus instead of <laughs> they bamboo. might if bamboo is ever in short supply asparagus will work bamboo it, would never be in short supply that's fair the that's way bamboo fair. grows <laughs> asparagus through bodies yeah <laughs> but also asparagus anyway Everyone, How tall was it? How big was it? It was probably, it had to have been two and a half feet long. Oh, wow. It was a big asparagus. <laughs> and then I used it to assault my girlfriend. Oh. I'm sorry. Everyone, I love her very much, obviously. We're married. The, the Gulabi gang. The go- <laughs> They're going to get you. <laughs> they are going to get Oh, no. She knows how much I love her. <laughs> anyway, continue. Okay. Bamboo sticks. Okay. So, as I mentioned earlier, this province of India, as well as 
all throughout India, many women experience domestic violence and sexual assault. And the same survey in 2013 that was taken, the uh, the numbers I mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. also found that more than 50% of Indian women admitted to being victims of violence at some point in their lives, and 60% of men admitted to committing intimate partner violence against their wives. And then also child marriages and dowry deaths are common occurrences in some parts of India as well. Can you explain what a dowry death is? I believe it is. (laughs) I'm not quite sure, but it's when you get into an arranged marriage Mm -hmm. and then you kill your wife. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've read in other, in articles, Mm -hmm. but I was like, for for my own clarification, (laughs) am I on the same page? Are we under, we're, but yes, we're under the understanding that it's it's a death after an arranged marriage. An arranged marriage. Because then you have whatever they were supposed to have, and you don't have to deal with a wife. Exactly. Just fucked up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if there are more nuances that I'm missing, I apologize. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So, where was I? Sampot Devi, the founder of the gang, Mm -hmm. knows all too well about these atrocities. At the age of 12, she was married off to an adult man who she'd never met prior to the marriage. Mm. And at 15, she had her first child. When she got a bit older, she witnessed a neighbor beating his wife outside of their home, and this deeply disturbed her. The next day, she went to confront him about it, and at first, he wasn't receptive to her message of, hey, don't beat your wife. Mm -hmm. But then, she made a point that he couldn't refuse. Basically, it went like this. She and his wife beat him with a bamboo stick. (laughs) Okay. And then she said, hey, bitch. Every time I hear you beat your wife, I'm going to beat you up too, and I'll get more people. Oh, shit! And it was effective. He stopped. Fair. <laughs> so, Sampat was disturbed by the very common violence that women were facing. I mean, in her own house. Well, her and her husband have a good relationship, mm-hmm. but um, in her own village. Mm-hmm. And, began, and she began working seven days a week, counseling women, organizing sit-ins, and leading rallies. Oh, my goodness. For years, she worked as a volunteer with local women NGOs, local women's NGOs, mm-hmm. non-governmental organizations, um, but was getting frustrated by the lack of progress. She was aware that a lot of women needed immediate help mm-hmm. and thought to herself, remember when I beat that guy up with a stick and got immediate, <laughs> <laughs> immediate results? Uh-huh. That sounds great. I should do more stuff like that. So, when Sampat heard about other women facing violence in the area, she'd wander on over there with her bamboo stick, serve some justice, and peace out. Some friends heard about it, and they wanted to join, and then the Gulabi Gang was formed. Damn. At first, it was just five women, all old friends, Mm -hmm. and it became bigger as more women expressed the desire to join. With few resources at her disposal and little to no funding, she allowed women to join with the gang with a $4 membership fee. Hot damn. Yeah. And the $4, if if you're thinking what I first thought, oh man, money to pay just to beat somebody up and <laughs> fight like an activist group? That seems weird. But it was to cover the cost of the pink sari so that Perfect. everybody would be wearing pink. Perfect. From fighting violence against women, preventing child marriages... And then they also arranged weddings for couples in love despite oh. the, <laughs> despite local uh-huh. resistance. They were ensuring the basic rights for women and the poorest of the poor in India. In Amazing. Uttar Pradesh. Uttar Pradesh. <laughs> the Gulabi Gang's vision is to, quote, protect the powerless from abuse and fight corruption. And it has found easy resonance across India. In the span of five years, the first five years of mm-hmm. when a group, the group grew into a powerful brigade of more than 20,000 women. Ooh. It included 10 district commanders who ran the gang's outposts across the district and spanned about 36,000 square miles. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, these local pink gang stations operate in the same way that Sampat's home operated. Mm-hmm. And in that they were meeting places for women to discuss their problems and be a safe space where they can go and ask for justice. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So it's like they're, it's like a 
It's like a safe house. Essentially, yeah. It's a safe house. It's a support group. They teach Ugh, There was amazing. In that episode of the mm-hmm. Vice episode, they show the lessons of how to use the bamboo stick mm-hmm. and like how to defend yourself. And they have Ooh. meetings like that. It's great. It's Ugh, really amazing. <laughs> it's really great. The Gulabi gang was once called militant Maoists by local police, and they started charging the gang with things like assault and defamation on several occasions. But it has not stopped them from seeking justice for vulnerable people. Well, you know what? I hate to say it, but if the fucking police and the government aren't going to intervene, Mm -hmm. you gotta take matters into your own fucking hands sometimes. And it's a crisis that... Yeah, it's a huge crisis. It's a worldwide crisis. And this is Mm -hmm. a small, like, worldwide speaking, this is a small group of women who are fucking tired of it. Yeah. And are like, well, all right then. Guess Mm -hmm. I'll do things my way. And a lot of women who aren't, a lot of people Mm -hmm. who are experiencing violence and aren't in the gang see it as their last option. Absolutely. It's not your first choice. Exactly. It's where you go before you don't have a chance to fight Mm -hmm. anymore yeah it's it's arose out of desperation Mm -hmm. for something to change Mm -hmm. amen yeah sam pat once stated there are so many struggles that women here have to go through it never seems to stop we don't like using violence but sometimes that's the only way people listen at another time she stated yes we fight rapists with latiths If we find the culprit, we thrash him, black and blue, so he dare not attempt to do any wrong to any girl or woman again. The protection of working as a collective has empowered many women, and it has also shown an alternative life to the one they currently have. So one member has stated, quote, A woman seeks the membership of the Gulabi gang because she has suffered injustice, has been oppressed, and does not see any other recourse. All our women can stand up to the men and, if need be, seek retribution through Latites. Oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Violence isn't the only way they want to create change, however. They are... They're realistic. So sometimes violence is the only way to protect yourself from predators that habitually use violence. And not only that, victims of violence that go to seek justice from the government or police officers are regularly silenced or ignored. It's this culture that the Galabi gang formed in as a desperate attempt to save the lives of thousands of yep. women. Yep. Okay. And then I have a, a story of one specific time. Oh, okay. The gang has stepped in and the positive outcome of it. Perfect. But again, trigger warning. Mm-hmm. So in 2015, the gang worked to help a 17-year-old girl who had just been gang raped by a group of men, including one that she identified as a member of a local legislator. Ugh. The girl went to the police, Mm -hmm. but instead of taking her statement, she was arrested. What the fuck? One of the men that had attacked her called the police and reported that she'd stolen from him and Mm -hmm. that if they see her to arrest her. Mm -hmm. And so they did that without listening to anything she had to say. Her father Mm -hmm. didn't know how to help his daughter. Mm -hmm. And it was recommended that he go to the Gulabi gang. So he went over there. He's Mm -hmm. a frail old man. And Sanpat heard about this mm-hmm. and organized a protest in front of the police station and later in front of the local legislator's house. Oof. The protesting couldn't be ignored, and later all of the men were arrested. Holy shit. Really? Yeah. Because yeah. cause it's at this point, the organization is thousands of women yeah. in bright-ass pink. That Yeah. That's hard to ignore. Yeah. Exactly. It's very hard and to ignore. And they're not... They're, they don't want to be ignored. No, they're not fucking going anywhere either. They're like, what? Yeah. What? And what, what? are you going to do? What mm-hmm. are you going to do? I have this big stick. I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and while... So that was the story. Mm-hmm. While the Galabi gang focuses mostly on women's rights, they also support more general human rights movements. So members of the Galabi gang are increasingly being asked to support local activism because their brand yes. and their influence mm-hmm. is out, like, It's powerful. worldwide. People yeah. know who they are. Exactly, yeah. So, to some, not to some, but up until now, mm-hmm. summarizing the first half. 
their actions are largely outside of political government Mm -hmm. because they're a vigilante group. However, they are trying to take on bigger and greater challenges and recognize the systemic problems Mm -hmm. and try to put their change forth that way. Yes. Like from the inside. Like at the root of the problem, let's try and address it here and stop trying to fight Mm -hmm. the problem once it gets out into the into the world they're recognizing that their actions can only go so far Mm -hmm. before real systemic changes need to be made and so now they're doing both hot damn (laughs) they're they're on the they're gonna fucking change things they're not going to be ignored no they're They're not not. fucking love that (laughs) so in october 2017 21 pink gang members won municipality elections Oh, shit! (laughs) And in these positions, the elected officials oversee construction and repair work of local roads, provide for sanitation and drinking water, and implement development schemes for agriculture. Oh, my gosh. As well as continually fighting for women's rights. Um, Incredible. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So as time moves forward, Sampat hopes that the Gulabi gang can become a political player in the Indian government, shifting their collective power beyond the streets and focus more on community service Mm -hmm. actions and some community service efforts that they're already doing Mm -hmm. include food and grain distribution to villagers in rural, rural areas. That word. <laughs> that word again. <laughs> they provide pensions to widows who do not have the means to support themselves. And they help prevent the abuse of women and children, as as we know. Glorious. And like I said earlier in that Vice video, mm-hmm. it's pretty short. If you go and look on yeah. YouTube, you can see Sam Pet teaching women how to use the bamboo sticks. Amazing. As well as become economically self-sufficient. Tupperware parties. They got to throw them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fun, fun fact. Another fun fact. (laughs) Tupperware is huge in India. It's not so big in the United States anymore. Mm -hmm. But it is is a worldwide thing. Mm -hmm. It's quite big in India. Hmm. Yeah. I know, because we're talking about India, Mm -hmm. they... One-use plastics is an epidemic over there. Yeah. And they are creating, one like, one-use spoons Mm -hmm. that you can eat. Really? But they're, like, hard and hard enough so that it doesn't disintegrate while Uh you're eating. Fascinating. Yeah. Mm. Anyways. Love it. So, I'm going to wrap this up. So, Sam Pet says of the Gulabi gang, We are not a gang in the usual sense of the term. We are a gang for justice. Further going on to say... People have tried to assassinate me, arrest me, abuse me, and shut me up, but I won't be quiet until things improve for the women here. Amen, sister. <laughs> yes. And if you want to look more into it, mm-hmm. gulabigang.in is their website that they have. Beautiful. <laughs> and they accept donations. Oh, perfect. So if you want to buy a sari or a bamboo stick for somebody, uh, yes, go to that website. Um anniversaries birthdays <laughs> christmas is coming up in nine months <laughs> you know what it's plan ahead if you're pregnant you're gonna give birth in nine months <laughs> so <laughs> it's a great baby shower gift. <laughs> give donations absolutely and that's that oh, incredible what a great story. It's such, you know what? I think it's always good when one of us does a real bummer and the other one right right back up. <laughs> Kicks it Real off. positive. Amazing. Yeah. Well, our lovely listeners, mm-hmm. that's all we got for you this week. It's true. If you, you know, are digging it, mm-hmm. if you are enjoying what we're putting out there, go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening. And give us uh, those those five stars. We really appreciate those. Yeah. And then if you want to reach out even more, we have social media accounts that you can follow. On Facebook and Instagram, we are at That Broad Scott Moxie. And on Twitter, we are That Broad... At, mm-mm. Mm-mm. On Twitter, we are Broad Scott Moxie. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> then 
If you really, really <laughs> want to get a hold of us, uh, you can email us. We would love to hear from you. Questions, comments, concerns, mm-hmm. suggestions. Mm-hmm. You can email us at thatbroadsgotmoxie at gmail.com. Sure can. That's, That's all it. she wrote. Bye. <laughs> Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick into the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.